Alright legends, welcome back dude to yet another episode of Get Around Me. What a time it is to be alive truly. 2024 is here. Hoorah! Big year ahead. Probably. Double check that. I just made it up. But either way, it is fantastic to be back. The podcast has returned, as have I. Sort of an under-the-radar return. I'd say the podcast proper will return on Thursday. Sort of a bonus-style episode, if you will, today. Just talking a bit of bloody cricket. Sometimes you just got to sit down and talk a bit of bloody cricket. Just so everyone in the surrounding suburbs know that you are still 100% fair dinkum. And that's what I'll be attempting today. Um, I was going to talk about it on the Thursday app and then I thought oh, I'll just run out of time. So I thought I'd do it as a standalone episode. Australia versus Pakistan in the test series over the break. Traditionally, I like to do a, a test match recap for each game of the home summer. But these games did clash with my own cultural break over the festive period. So unfortunately, I wasn't able to do that. I was then going to do sort of a series review, which I guess this is sort of, but then that was so overwhelming and I realized almost immediately I could not remember a single thing that happened in the first test. I just spent 40 minutes in my room wondering what the bloody hell happened in the first test. Where was it played? Who played? Who won? What were the scores? Okay, I couldn't, I couldn't remember a single thing from the first test and I refused to Google it. So... Here we are, going to talk a bit about the series itself and then I'm just going to go through each player and just give a few thoughts because I think that'll be a little bit easier than trying to sort of talk generally about 14 days of test cricket or whatever we got. So that's what I'm going to do, but it was a fantastic series. I really enjoyed this series between Australia and Pakistan. 3-0 doesn't really tell the tale of the series, but at the same time, it does. Because numbers are accurate. So 3-0, a bit harsh on Pakistan. For a minute there, I thought we were going to go to Sydney at one all, which would have been the toeiest thing to happen in modern sporting history. If Pakistan's third 11 come and knock us over in the Boxing Day test and we go to Sydney at one all, this is what three test match series are supposed to be. You know... Three test match series, the point is, it's an odd number. And that potentially one team will win one game, the other team will win one game, and then you will go and play what is called a deciding game. Unfortunately, I don't think a three-match test series has had a deciding game in, in the last 15 years. It's usually just hapless touring teams going, you're kidding. There's another one of these fucking things. We're 2-0 down. What's the point of this? Or, God forbid... You have a situation where it's it's 1-0 with a draw. And then everyone's saying, well, Pakistan, they'll win here. They could draw the series. That'd be big. It wouldn't be very big at all. So unfortunately, we didn't get that. 3-0, tough stuff, Pakistan. Played better than that, while at the same time playing much, much worse than that. So it was an interesting, interesting series. We sort of took turns playing well, Australia and Pakistan. And the problem was when Australia weren't playing that well for a session. They sort of played not great. No, not great, but sort of okay. And then when Pakistan didn't play well for a session, 
I felt that their incompetence was to such a level, I questioned whether there was genuine corruption afoot. I was at the SCG on day two when David Warner nicked off and another one has just hit Shafiq in the chest at first slip. And I honestly turned to my mate and said, there's a fix on. There's a fucking backdoor deal here. I know Salman Butt was only the head selector for about two days before they realized having one of the most notorious match fixes in Pakistan history as a key selection figure wasn't the best idea, but I think he might have got to some of the players in that short amount of time because I've never seen fielding like this. Just Pakistan just dropping, they dropped eight or nine catches or something for the series. But really, the graphic on KO should say sodas. They're dropping proper cans of Coke like, like Nan would take these two seats down on Christmas Day. And it's like, it's the sort of stuff where if I dropped that in fourth grade, like I would just be abused into next week by my 43-year-old captain. And I just don't understand how you could be this bad at the highest level. But anyway, we don't want to get too negative here because it was fun. It was a bit of bloody fun. And it was a good balance between genuine competition and the absence of genuine competition which is really what we want in Australian home summer. We want competition, but we want it to be like the illusion of competition. And I said this to Rowan when we went to watch the last day of Sydney. Uh, Usman Khawaja was out and we were one for none, chasing 130. And I told Rowan, who doesn't watch that much cricket, I said, mate, this is why the Australian cricket team is so fun. Because sometimes it looks like we might lose, but we never do. But we never do. And we, yeah, the series had it all in that regard. I guess we'll start with Warner, sort of the storyline of the series, the whole Mitch Johnson thing, that was a lot of fun, I enjoyed the hell out of that, then he gets 164 in the first innings, or the first day of the first innings of the first test, and that was sort of the end of that, unfortunately for Mitch Johnson, God bless, and, and then he just sort of cruised home, it was great, there was the baggy green thing, where... I mean, he lost the baggy greens, then he found them. The Australian public didn't seem to really give a fuck either way. I don't think anyone cared when he lost them, and it didn't really seem like anyone cared when he found them. So, very bizarre scenes there. I mean, you have Qantas and David Warner having an issue together, and it just felt like the Australian public was like, oh, we don't really care for either of you lads, to be honest, you know? If we, got, if we had maybe a Steve Smith Virgin Airlines conundrum, maybe that's something the public would want to dip their toe into. But it's like Qantas and Dave Warner. That's kind of like, do you know what I mean? It's kind of like when two, two absolute pricks get in a scrap at a house party and no one really wants to break it up because you sort of hope they beat the shit out of each other type thing. But that might sound a little harsh and I apologize. This is my first episode back and I'm just getting into the swing of things here. But yeah, good stuff from Warner. and. You know, fairy tale, fairy tale stuff. He had Tones and I play at his retirement party, which I thought was extremely fitting. You know, Tones and I, another Australian who has been needlessly hated by big parts of the Australian population, many of whom, if you put a gun to their head and you ask them, why do you hate Tones and I and or David Warner? Many of them would have to say, uh... I, it's just a vibe. I don't really know. I think it's trendy to hate them. So I thought that was a very fitting musical guest for his end. And I, I would, I love just picturing 
Candace and Davey Warner in the G-Wagon on the way down to Bondi. Bit of dance monkey cranking, you know. Dance for me, dance for me, dance. And Davey's just going, I don't know whatever I'd say it, man. This cranks. Dance monkey comes in at number three on the hottest 100. And Davey Warner's shocked. He had, he had about 50 grand on it to come in first. So that's a nice little link up there. And I hope they've been able to be a lighthouse for each other in some of the darker times. But let's talk about Davey Warner for a second here, because I don't know, there's not really much else to talk about. What did I write down for Davey here? Not a whole bloody lot, but I did see his last day and that was cool. But at the same time, it was almost annoying in a way because we're chasing 130 on a really tough deck and then Dave Warner comes out and bats for like 40 minutes and you go, oh, the game's dead. He's killed that. We're one for 80. He, I, I blinked. I went to get four mid-strength beers for $53. And now David Warner is 47 not out off 46 balls. So it was bloody good to watch, to be honest. He runs very hard between the wickets. And and that's very cool. Yeah, I'm like, you know, I've never been the biggest David Warner guy. So it wasn't, um, it wasn't that big of a deal personally for me. But it was cool to like give him a standing ovation and stuff. Yeah, there's just something about Davey. I don't know what it is. I've campaigned hard for him over the last couple of years because I do think he was doing enough to hold his spot in the team. And you can't drop blokes for being kind of a prick, despite what my fourth grade captain told me in 2017, okay? Yeah, the whole thing was a bit weird. And Davey Warner, you know, he's doing these interviews and he's like, I love my teammates. I love Candace. I love this country. And... It just, I don't know, the, just the vibes off or something on this bloke. It's like, I, it's like everyone's listening to him going like, he hasn't, I can't bloody grab the reason why I think this guy's a prick in my hands and put it on the table and be like, that's what it is. I think he's probably a prick, but he's just so well media trained that he's just sort of, you know, skirting around these things for the last eight years or so. So yeah, look, just an absolute freak of a player. No one really wants to have a beer with him. And I don't know, you can either be David Boone or you could be David Warner. And I know who's probably going to get invited to more sportsmen's luncheon. So whatever you're into there. Up next, Usman Khawaja. Solid series. Very solid series. Most runs of any test batsman in 2023. Uzi. I mean, what more can you say about this man? I just love him. I want to bloody eat him up, you know. Just kiss him on the lips and just say thank you for everything you've ever done for me you son of a bitch there was that weird thing where he kept trying to get like different political messages on his shoe or his bat and the political messages were getting like more benign and the icc was just still denying them he was like all lives are equal i think was the first one and the icc was like ah oh, i don't wouldn't necessarily say that I think the last one he tried to get past them was like, you shouldn't kill children. And the ICC was like, well, you know, we have a diverse range of people that come in and see the test cricket and we want to represent all of their interests. So, you know, there might be some people in the members of the SCG who are on Epstein's plane or some shit and they might not agree with that. So that was really weird, really weird. I mean, I think he's allowed to have like, be nice to each other on his bat in the Big Bash. So whether that leads to a ceasefire in Gaza, we'll have to see. 
But I love that Uzi didn't back down either way. The guy was calling his own press conferences, just going, yeah, fuck off. <laughs> so I enjoyed that part of Uzi's personality. And the thing with Uzi is that you can tell this guy is a stubborn son of a bitch. And I love it, dude. I can't wait for this guy's media career. And put it this way, I would be, I'm sure Uzi's a fantastic bloke. But if I didn't get on with Uzi, I would be getting a coffee with him right now while you still can because I think when that guy's got a KO microphone in front of him there will be no one spared and I can't wait anyway up next Manus Labashane solid series you know the decks were pretty tough to bat on for these poor batsmen you could tell Smith and Manus especially maybe Usman as well they just they yearned for like a 180 or a big double ton or something but I love Manus I think the thing where he goes up for every DRS is actually hilarious. For a while, I thought he was just like stupid or maybe his senses weren't good, you know? I thought maybe he just couldn't hear very well or something. Now I actually find it so hilarious how he goes up for everything because I don't know if it's just blind enthusiasm or he genuinely needs... His senses are weak. I'm not sure what he's seeing or hearing or feeling, um, but I want to feel what he feels, okay? Next time I take a goddamn stimulant at a local pub, sell me whatever Manus is feeling when a bloke misses a ball by 30 centimeters and he's rolling around on the ground, appealing so hard he can't breathe. I want to feel what Manus feels when a bloke gets his thigh pad blown off a meter outside leg stump. And he's just got so much ecstasy flowing through his body as he's literally like begging Pat Cummins to review it. I want to feel what that is, okay? Does it come in a pill? Is there a message on Usman Khawaja's bat that can make me feel that? Just give me that. Whatever Manus feels, I want to feel that. I think they, they said during the series, it was so funny. Kerry O'Keefe has like the weirdest facts about everyone. I love Kerry O'Keefe. Uh... <laughs> Kerry O'Keefe said that Manus got a new coffee machine for Christmas and he's been testing over 150 different types of coffee beads to see which one goes best in his machine, which, you know, on any other bloke would be a wild call for help. Like that's proper, are you okay? Give this bloke a call stuff. You know, that's real download hinge and pay for the premium version immediately okay if you come over and i'm testing my 124th coffee bean looking for the right one grab my phone out of my hand the password is triple six triple seven and download hinge make me a profile and just start swiping okay because that would traditionally be a call for help but manus is married with a kid and he's an absolute kook and these these sorts of uh this sort of behavior on anyone else with the DRS, the coffee, I would say it's completely unhinged. But on Manus, it's charming as hell and I can't get enough of it. But anyway, speaking of absolute fucking weirdos, Stevie Smith is up next. Now, Steve Smith and Manus, I just... Now, I'm going to be a bit biased here because I went to watch the SCG Day 2. And I'm watching Manus and I'm watching Smith. And this happened a few times during the series. And I will admit that the pitches were not optimal highways for batting that maybe the boys were yearning for. But 
just kind of feels like they're batting in like a tour match. Like there's not really a lot of urgency to move the game forward. Uzi probably he's, would batted quite slow this year as well, but opening the batting on some of these decks was tricky. And I think that's a different role. But yeah, Marnus and Smith, I don't want to say they're batting for themselves or anything like that, but yeah, there's just not a lot of urgency to move the game forward. Like I'm watching them face Sajid Khan in the third test. And I'm just thinking two years ago, three years ago, I just think they would have run at him all day and just belted him out of the attack. You know, I think about the treatment Jack Leach got in the Ashes series here a couple years ago, or like that West Indies spinner who was dramatically subpar last season. And I just think they would have just run at him relentlessly. Like they just sort of let the off spinners, Salman and Sajid, bowl at them. They're letting Hassan Ali build pressure, bowling 118 k's an hour. Yeah, I don't know. Not a lot of urgency from the boys. Important 50 from Smith in Melbourne, though. I enjoyed that. Proper any means necessary stuff. I love it when Steve Smith's in a mood and he goes, I don't give a fuck what it takes. I'm getting this done. And that that's what he did in Melbourne. And that was an extremely important 50. And I loved it. Yeah, that last dismissal where he looked at the pitch and like crossed his arms. That was pretty kooky behavior, even for him. And look, I can get in on the fact that the SCG pitch is absolute dog shit. Like, batting on that on day three was pretty ridiculous for a day three pitch, let's be honest. Um, looking at the pitch, I'd have more sympathy for you if you hadn't run down the wicket. In- <laughs> Sorry, they've just put in three short covers. The bo- That ball, okay? That ball, they've put in three short covers. You run down the wicket and try and hit a cover drive through them, okay, through them, and then look at the wicket. Now, while it may have held up ever so slightly in this ridiculous SCG pitch, I don't think you can blame the SCG pitch for that decision. It's got to be one of the dumbest fucking things I've ever seen in my life. You know, you can't you can't get peer pressured into something by the SCG pitch. I remember one time I got caught smoking bongs with the SCG pitch when I was 14, and my mum came in and said, what are you doing? And I said, the SCG pitch told me to do it. And do you know what? I got grounded. And the SCG pitch didn't get grounded at all because my mum said that the SCG pitch wasn't her son, I was, right? So you can't really be blaming the SCG pitch for peer pressuring you into behavior that is really quite ridiculous. Anyway, we better bloody zip through here because I'm only up to Steve Smith and I've got to go to work soon. All right, Travis Head up next. Well, that's an easy one because Tra- Travis Head, poor Trav, um, he did literally nothing this series. And I'm not going to trash him because he had such an electric 2023. Uh, I think he averaged about 12 for this series. I will say, poor Steve Smith, he averages 43 uh, for the year in 2023. Everyone says he's washed. He's done. Travis Head averaged 43 in 2023 in test cricket. And everyone says he's like in the test team of the year and like he, he's like one of the greatest players on the planet. So, you know, Steve Smith, a victim of his own, of his own standards, but, but yeah. So, Travis Head didn't do a lot. Up next, oh, here we go, Mitch Marsh. This is what I'm talking about, dude. Mitch Marsh, my God. Probably our batsman of the series. In fact, he was. I love Mitch Marsh. He comes in and affects the game at six. Do you know what I mean? Like this... Cam Green, I'll talk about Cam Green later. You know, Cam Green, it just felt like he's played 30 tests or whatever. It kind of just got to the point where you just feel like 
He's just playing his debut over and over again. Whereas Mitch Marsh, he's over that hump. He's coming in, he's playing his natural game. He's Dude, I think he might be low-key one of the hottest guys in the team as well. I was pushing this agenda all summer to mixed reviews, really. I think he's underrated as far as how hot he is. Um, I love watching him bat. I mean, you know, I do think luck and karma and stuff is real because this guy did have an electric series, but he also, he got dropped almost every innings. And when I say he got dropped, it's proper just underarm stuff. So he did get a bit lucky at times, but, you know, he got Babara's arm out when we still thought Babara's arm was good. So that was pretty sick. That's like uh, Mitch Marsh getting Babara's arm out in the first innings of the first test. That's like when Charles Oliveira defeated Tony Ferguson and everyone thought it was like a great victory. And then Tony Ferguson went to get knocked out <laughs> in his next five fights and it didn't age that well. That was kind of like Mitch Marsh getting Babara's arm out when we thought uh, the first innings of the first test, Ian Smith is literally like passing out in the commentary booth watching Babara's arm take center. He's like, one of the top five, one of the four kings, you know, just blasting off in his pants. And uh, yeah, obviously that he didn't end up doing too much there, old Baba. But yeah, Mitch Marsh, just an absolute freak. He's 32. I think we'll get a good couple of years out of Mitch Marsh here. And I look forward to it. I love him. Alex Kerry, wow. Still as hot as ever, but with some runs, you know. I, I was getting a bit worried about Alex Kerry because I do love him. And you don't need to get many runs at seven, but you do need to get some. And especially, I think Mitch Marsh batting a six, by the way, is the best thing for Kerry because Kerry averaging 31 is not great, but it's made worse when you got Cameron Green averaging 28 ahead of him. But now you got Mitch Marsh just banging it to all parts, averaging like 60 in his return. And it's taken the pressure off Kerry a bit. Some important runs. Um... I love I love Alex Carey, even though, yeah, there are times when I just wish he would do a little bit more with the stick, but he got some good runs this series. You don't, no- you don't notice his keeping, which means he's a fucking freak. And he's hot, you know? Even though I got done by a fake Alex Carey OnlyFans in, uh, I think it was December 27, that scam went out. Honestly, whoever got my $27, fair play, because it looked legit as hell. Legit as hell, dude. Up next, Mitchie Stark. Genuine Mitch Stark summer. Uh, long periods where we're struggling to hit the cut stuff, but other periods where he's just bowling completely unplayable deliveries. Mix that in with just getting out 10 and 11 almost every innings, and you've got a pretty good Mitch Stark summer, you know? Kerry O'Keefe said, this is a great quote, he said, Mitch Stark has a knack for being the worst bowler on the day who ends up with the most wickets which is extremely harsh, but also kind of true. The amount of times Mitch Stark will knock over the opening batsman with just an absolute fucking face melter of a delivery and then just go missing for the next 70 overs. And then all of a sudden, once the number nine comes in, Mitchy Stark's loosening up at mid-off. He's got a bit more of a pep in his step and he ends up with three for 80 and no one else took more than two wickets. And you go, okay, yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Go Starkey, you know. I got no problems with it. I like him. I'm all about it. He's he's done it for about eight years, and I hope he continues to do it. You know, 345 test wickets for Starkey. I looked this up. Uh, the question is, really, with Mitch Stark, 345 test wickets. The next milestone is 350. 
Then I think you hit Dennis Lilly at 355 or some shit. And the real question for Starkey is how many more test wickets until someone gives a fuck? You know, the poor guy just feels like no one ever rates him, no matter how many polls he takes. So keep going, Starkey. I love you. Next up, Cummins. What can be said about Pat Cummins? This guy's just an absolute freak. In my mind, it goes Dennis Lilly, Pat Cummins, McGrath, McGrath, Pat Cummins, but whatever. He's he's in that that echelon now, that top three. Like, Pat Cummins is just so, so good. I can't believe he bowls first change. Like, it works, obviously, whatever. They know better than me. There's no doubt about that. But imagine you're freaking Shafiq or Ayub or that other bloke who wasted our time in the first two tests. And you go, right, I've got through Mitch Stark's three unplayable deliveries. I've got through Hazelwood somehow. I've played and missed about 75 times. All right, first change bowler. Who is it? Just a generational talent. Maybe the best bowler of the last 15 years. You just think, is this a fucking joke? What the bloody hell is going on? Do you know what I mean? Like, it must just be so deflating. And I just love Pat. Like, Pat Cummins is just so good that I don't really have words to describe it. Also, low-key, he might have the hottest wife in the team. She's not a famous person or whatever. I'm not sure what her occupation is. But Pat Cummins' wife might be the hottest partner in world cricket. And that's going under the radar as well. Speaks to the man's character. That he hasn't flaunted all around town. Um, Also, I love, like, the energy of giving yourself the ball. I love it when we're like in a bit of trouble, you know, Rizwan's going nuts or whatever. And Pat Cummins just goes, yeah, just give it to me. And it's like, God, that's toey as hell, dude. God, that just fills me with freaking so much confidence and pride. I love it. Anyway, up next, uh, Hazelwood and Lyon. I'm just sort of going to move along here because they both had, well, Hazelwood had a fantastic series and Lyon was a bit unders by his own standards. Hazelwood SCG day three in the afternoon when he that triple wicket maiden. I enjoyed the hell out of that. I was watching on the telly. It's probably my moment of the series as far as like how much fun I had watching it. That and when we were four for 16 and then Mitch Marsh got that 90 odd that or 50 odd, whatever he got. Those were my two best moments of the series where I got the most enjoyment out of it. And Hazelwood, yeah, he doesn't say much. He just bowls really, really, really well. So, good on him. Good on him. And then, yeah, Lyon was a bit unders. Um, but, yeah, who cares, really? He'll, he'll be fine. Now, I wrote a couple of things down here. I, I'm just going to skip a couple of the Pakistan players because a couple of them just didn't really have the best series. Shaquille batted at five. I could not find any evidence that Shaquille participated in the series. I was on Crick Info. I was on Wikipedia. I was on foxcricket.com.au. I was on Star Sports. I could not find any evidence that Shaquille, their number five batsman, took the field at any point during the series. So we'll be skipping him. And I will say just off the rip here, because I am going to be pretty negative about a couple of these blokes. But just before I say that, because I'm going to be really positive about a couple of them as well, I really fell in love with this Pakistan team over the summer. You know, they got their heads blown off in Perth, whatever, that happens. I, I thought they tried really hard at times. 
And the times it seemed they weren't trying hard, it just felt more like genuine incompetence than laziness, which is kind of forgivable. But I thought they tried hard. You know, they pushed us in the second and the third test. There was moments where they were really, really great. When they were on, they were on. And when they were off, by God, were they off. Okay? It is commendable how hard these guys switch off. I don't know if they all got goggins up or something. And it's like when they're on, when you're on, you're a million percent focused. And when you're off, just completely switch off. Yeah, I'm not, sh- I'm not sure. But one session out of every day of this test series, they were the number one test team in the world. And the remaining two sessions of each day, they were maybe Northern District second grade, coming fifth, sort of fading towards the end of the season, looking to make finals by the skin of their teeth. So really enjoyed Pakistan, this series, and I wish them the best. Um, Shafiq, first up. Okay, this guy's a fucking clown, dude. And there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I wanted to be positive about Pakistan because I knew I was going to talk about Shafiq first. And I'm sorry, dude. Like, this series... Pakistan could have won this series if he didn't play. And that's not an exaggeration. He dropped four sodas, right? Proper... He should have just let them hit him in the chest at first slip and let Rizwan or Salman at second slip have a go at it. I think that would have been better than his attempts. Like, just halfway up his forearm, but also, like, straight into the ground. Like, proper volleyball stuff. It's like he thought he was uh, down at Bondi Beach playing volleyball with some Brazilians whose visas ended two years ago because, my God, just slapping these things into the ground, dude. I've never seen anything like it. Um, he two-foot slide-tackled Amir Jamal, their best player for the series. And here's the thing. It's not like it was cow corner and deep mid-wicket or something and the ball was swirling up in the air. He's run from like short leg or second slip all the way to deep backwards square to two-foot this bloke with metal spikes in the ankle. Now, let me tell you, mate, if I am running from second slip to two-foot a bloke at deep backwards square, that's personal, all right? If we're maybe pointing cover and sun's in my eyes, oh, sorry there, Maka, didn't see you. Mate, if I'm running from second slip and I run 85 meters with no objects around me except for you, and your body, and I two-feet you, that's personal. That's, you've been texting my missus type stuff, you know? You've been eating my sandwiches. You've been stealing my, my, my gloves at lunch or something, you know? You keep getting the top bunk in these hotel rooms, but that's, that's bone-to-pick stuff. You've got a good three to four seconds to have a think about it as you sprint over of, about what you're going to do. I mean, that is a personal attack of the highest order. But the reason I hate Shafiq, whose first name escapes me, I'm not going to attempt to say it, as I dare say I will fuck it up to the point where it could be a hate crime. But the reason I hate this bloke with such venom is that, okay, they lost the second test, whatever. It was a bloody awesome test match. And I was G'd up for that third test, dude. Ravenously G'd up. Like proper, just pit bull with a bee in its mouth. Just, you know, just growling at my telly as Mitch Stark runs in for that first over of the of the third test. And the first one is absolutely bent around a corner and you go, holy fucking shit, Starkey's on, you know? Is Mercury in retrograde? Where's Saturn? What's happening? Because Starkey is on. 
And the thing with Starkey is you don't know when he's going to be on and you don't know when he's going to be off. And Starkey himself knows least of all. But for whatever reason, he was on and you thought, holy shit, this is going to be a great first session. The second ball, Shafiq's gone right. I've had a look at that. Time to melt one through the covers on the up. And he gets he gets caught a second slip. They're one for none. I can't remember what happened next. They're, they're fucking two for none. That, oh, the, the 17-year-old kid nicks off to a Jaffa. Now they're two for none. And it was like, well, fucking El Shafiq, you've ruined that. You know? You've ruined that. Two for none with, with Starkey on. You've fucked that up like you wouldn't believe. And it's like, what goes through you? It's got to be the worst shot. Second ball of the day and the test match. Like, anyway, I can't, I can't wrap my head around that sort of decision making. But now we're going to get a bit positive. Because up next, I want to talk about Sean Masood. And I personally have Masood fever. And guess what, guys? There's no cure. I cannot get enough of Sean Masood. I love the way he bats. I love the tempo. I love when Imam El Huck was standing on his bat at the other end, not backing up. And Masood's just pushing him for threes and stuff. Uh, I love everything about the way Masood bats. I wish he got a ton. Sort of got in his own way a little bit at times. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, if you've run it Nathan Lyon twice for the over, maybe don't do it again. You know, outside off, some of the dismissals outside off to the paceman could have seen a couple more leaves, but I think, you know, he was trying to give it to the Aussies, which I appreciate. And yeah, just talks like an absolute gentleman. And he didn't get beaten down by the series. You know, you're 2-0 down against Australia. You see some of these overseas captains and they're just sort of, you could just tell they're having the worst time ever. You know, Shard Massoud, it seemed like he was down, down at Clavelli before each day of play, having a swim, having a coffee, you know, having a bloody laugh, enjoying his tour. I will say quick drive-by, his fielding on the square at cover is unfortunately some of the worst I've seen. That's okay. His captaincy uh, needs a bit of work as well. That's okay. I absolutely love Sean Masood, and thank you so much for the three games you gave us. Babar Azam, Azam, up next, allegedly great. I think he might just be a UAE bully, this bloke. I mean, really? Can we just leave the word great at the door for batsmen who can actually get runs, you know, more than 400 metres from their, their house they grew up in? I mean, all these great, great batsmen that just are not doing the damn thing away from home. I think there's got to, we've got to start making that distinction. It just seems like there's three batsmen on the planet that can actually get runs away from home and Babar Azam is not one of them. So pretty disappointing. I mean, when he did get 40-odd or whatever, I enjoyed it. I like watching him bat. Very aesthetic, which is the only thing that matters about batting as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, kind of disappointing from the great man. Up next, Rizwan. Another man who has left me literally feverish, dude. I love Rizwan. I can't believe he didn't play the first test. Um... I love, dude, he came out first ball and hit Nathan Lyon like in, into the upper decks in one of the games. That's toey as hell. And he's keeping, well, who knows, who gives a fuck really. Um, his batting was exceptional. I loved every time he came to the crease. And he just seems like a bloody legend, to be honest. Salman up next, really enjoyed him as well, giving him a rip in the SCG test. Jamal, another man, oh my God, I've blacked out every time he walks to the wicket. 
Uh, the thing I love about Jamal is he plays hard, real fucking hard, okay? He was absolutely steaming in uh, on the last day at the SCG. He came on at one for 120 with Australia chasing 130. So that's pretty stiff when you've just taken six for in the first innings. But Jamal, you know, he hits a big ball and he hits the deck hard. And what more can you ask for? I love him. Okay, I absolutely love him. Hassan Ali bowling 117 Ks an hour. Didn't do a lot for me, unfortunately. Don't really need to see him again. Hamza, inspirational, a legally blind man getting it done. Eyes going everywhere. The ball. The, what was swinging around more? Hamza's right eye or the fucking cricket ball? Because both were hard to pick up. I'll tell you that. <laughs> All right, guys. That's pretty, that's pretty slack. And then last but not least, Shaheen Afridi. I've got some choice words for Shaheen. I'll say this. And to be fair, I, allegedly it was not his decision to be rested from the third test. But I'm sorry. Pakistan, who the fuck do you think you are resting your best bowler who's bowled poorly and you're down 2-0? Riddle me that. He's bowled poorly and you're down 2-0. And they said, oh, he bowled 55 overs in total, like across the first two tests or something. And I saw a stat that Pat Cummins had bowled 65 across the first two tests. And Starkey had bowled like 63 or something. I'm sorry, but resting players is for winners. So I can't condone that. 2-0 down, resting the only guy who gets it up above 131Ks an hour. Didn't rate that at all. But in reflection, a fantastic series, really. It could have been a lot worse. I personally got a lot of enjoyment out of watching it. And uh, and hopefully the West Indies can play as well as Pakistan. And I, I mean that. Last thing, I just want to get in on this before... I believe they're making the decision tonight. So I'll just get this in before the decision is made on Warner's replacement. Because I have some thoughts, uh, some aggressive ones. And... Here's the thing, dude, with this, who's going to replace David Warner? It, everyone's saying, what a tricky decision. What are we going to do? The reality is that it's not a tricky decision. The decision to be made would be to pick Cam Bancroft because he is an opening batsman who is also the leading run scorer in the Sheffield Shield. So if I was a selector and I was looking for an opening batsman for the Australian Test Team, I would go, okay, who's the best batsman in the Sheffield Shield? It's Cameron Bancroft. He's averaging 56 over the last two years. I'd go, okay, that's good. Where does he bat? He opens the batting. You're shitting me, okay? And then I'd say to George Bailey, I'd say, well, that's done. Let's go get a fuckload of Thai food on the Cricket Australia card. And that'd be us done for the day. Now, I, like all Australians, have spilled blood in an oath to Cam Green's development, okay? I've put a knife through my left hand on a full moon of the Boxing Day test and I've pledged myself to Cam Green's development. No matter what it takes, we will see this through until this man is the greatest cricketer Australia has ever seen or at the very least looks like he could be. And I think they're probably going to end up going with Green. Andrew McDonald froths on Green. Absolutely cannot get enough of Cam Green and they took Cam Green around to all three test matches. Why on earth would you take uh, an all-rounder around the country like that for absolutely no reason unless you plan to play him against the West Indies? 
if they're going to play green, which they clearly want to, I'd rather he just open the batting and leave Smith at four. Why on earth would you move the best batsman in the team to accommodate the worst batsman in the team? I, the logic of that to me is just insane. And Cam Green, I know he's very tall and he's shows a lot of potential and stuff. Great. Great. But when Cam Green is in the Australian cricket team, he is the worst batsman in the team. You know, you say you pick your six best batsmen. Fine. Let's say hypothetically Cam Green is the sixth best batsman in Australia. He is unequivocally the sixth best. Okay? And there's daylight between him and number five, which would be Travis Head. Why would you move the best player in the team to accommodate the worst player in the team? That seems insane to me. If they want to take a punt on Cam Green opening, whatever. I am strongly opposed to Harrison Renshaw playing. I've read that they're probably not in for a sniff anyway. I mean, they're just crap to watch. Okay? I like aesthetic batsmen, and I like batsmen that move the game forward. Pick one, or if you're you're Mitch Marsh, pick both and make my fucking day. But... Renshaw and Harris both averaged 37 in the shield. Like, if you're not averaging 40 in the shield, it should be illegal to be picked for your nation. I mean, really. Um, The reality is the correct answer is Cam Bancroft. If you're picking off runs and runs at a position, you know, that's relevant to the the role he'll be playing in the team, that would be Cam Bancroft. If you're going off uh, high-performance stats like wingspan and box jump, then yes, you would pick Cam Green. I think they're definitely going to pick Cam Green. They just absolutely froth on him. You know, they've got the launch angle and the the swing power and the, the, you know, he bowls a heavy ball and all these, all these stats that only guys with iPads understand. And I think they're going to pick him, whatever. It's not a bad series to pick a guy who's not a traditional opener and give him a crack against the West Indies who are a second grade side. But yeah, I just think these high performance guys, they just, they love to be right. You know, these high performance guys, it's their job to see things that other people can't see. And they obviously see something in Cam Green. I remember when Green got injured after last year's Melbourne Test match, I think. And the high performance guy for Cricket Australia was on the grade cricketer. I'll never forget this. He said, it's such a shame Cam Green got injured for the Sydney Test because I reckon he would have gone absolutely nuts. And I thought, I think about that once a week. Never have I heard a player being lauded for how hypothetically nuts he would have gone in a game that not only is yet to happen yet, but he is unavailable for. That's how much they froth on Cam Green. So I don't know what goes on. He must be a fantastic root or have heaps of banter or something, but whatever. I mean, Mitch Marsh's body isn't going to hold up forever anyway. If you're that desperate to play him, we're playing the West Indies. Who gives a fuck? Send him out there. Um, I will say I'm so opposed to Steve Smith opening the batting for the reasons I've outlined, but then I saw a video of Michael Clark saying, if Steve Smith wants to open the batting, he will be the best opening batsman in the world in 12 months. And hearing that from Michael Clark, my God, I had to repair my underwear several times, okay? Holy shit, that got me going. So still opposed to it, but whatever. Um, yeah, I think they're going to open with Cam Green, and I can see him getting, you know, like a really average 47 against a really average West Indies team. And then he'll probably open the batting for the next two years until Mitch Marsh breaks down. Then he'll return to five or six or something. And Cam Bancroft will probably never play test cricket for Australia again. So there you bloody have it.
Anyway, uh, whatever. Oh, yeah, cool. End of the pod. There are some thoughts, some feelings, a few jokes in there as well. God forbid. Uh, Regular podcast is back on Thursday. Just recapping the Christmas break. Yep. Okay, we're back. This is it. This is it. We're back. This is what it feels like to be back. I'm a man who's back talking about being back and what a thrill it is to be. What's that? Back. Okay. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Miss you. Want to kiss you. Fuck yeah, dude. Way too long. Way too long. Yeah. And I can see the ground now. Way too long.